Morning. Uh, I'm not Tom, in case you're wondering. Uh, and for those of you who don't know me, my name's Jared Tyler. Uh, my family and I have actually been attending here at Fall Creek uh, since right before the pandemic. So uh, we were here a couple of weeks, and then we were home for a long time, and uh, we're kind of back now. Um, you saw my son play drums today, uh, Julian. Uh, and many of you uh, probably have never met or seen my wife. She is a nurse at IU Saxony Hospital, and she works nights and she works weekends. So uh, it was kind of ironic as I was driving to church today, I passed her and waved as she was driving home. <laughs> and uh, we are ships passing in the wind from time to time. Uh, but I thought it would be important, because uh, it's the first time I've been up here, to kind of introduce you to myself and, and let you know a little bit about this amazing woman, my wife, um, who, who really gets people. She has this knack uh, for just understanding who somebody is from the very moment that she meets them. And I know this to be true because when we met at Cincinnati Bible College back in 1997 in a speech class, she loathed me. These are her words. She loathed me. And mind you, for good reason. So as often happens, uh, I met a, a young lady my freshman year in college, first semester, and uh, we started dating. And because we were at Bible college, we just assumed, obviously, we've met at Bible college. We have this amazing passion for Jesus Christ. We're going to be together forever, which also meant that we decided that second semester, when we were planning all of our classes, we just planned to have all the same classes together. And then over Christmas break, we broke up. And, and as this often happens, uh, she was doing just fine after the breakup. I was not doing quite as well, because you know these things never really happen evenly. And I happened to have one class, a speech class, that had uh, two young ladies in it, my ex-girlfriend and my current wife, who at the time was engaged to somebody else. I didn't care that she was engaged to somebody else. My goal was to prove to my ex-girlfriend that I was over her, which I was not. So I spent every minute of that class just relentlessly advancing towards Joan, my beautiful wife now, in an effort to prove to my ex-girlfriend that I was over her. Uh, Joan was having none of it, of course, because she was not interested in me at all. Heck, I wasn't even interested in me at that time. And she would go home back to her dorm afterwards uh, and, and loathe me. In fact, if, if you question the story, ask Amy Kupferer, who was on the floor with my wife at Cincinnati Bible College at the time. She will confirm, I was loathed. <laughs> now, we ended up, as these things happen, we ended up taking the first semester of our sophomore year off. I ran out of money, um, and so I had to go to work and make some money so I could go back to college. She had some personal things at home she had to deal with, so she was off for that semester. So when we came back to school, we were a semester off of all of our friends and ended up <laughs> in a lot of the same classes together. <laughs> and I'd grown and matured since then, and she had broken up with her fiancé. That's a whole other story. And so struck up a 
little bit of an acquaintance. I won't even call it a friendship. Because we saw each other all the time, almost every class. Well, there was a Gospels class taught by uh, Dr. Weatherly, and in this class, we had to read this book called The Life of Christ, which is like four times bigger than the Bible. You thought it was all in there, but no, they've got a really big book. I mean, I'm serious. It was this big. It held the uh, leg of our chair up for years, all right? And it was impossible to read this book during the semester. So, What the professor did was he would split us up into groups or let us split up into groups, and we'd all read a section of the book, get together, report to each other on the section of the book. So as a group, we read all of the life of Christ. I happened to have a friend named Eric Fry in that that group, in that Gospels class, and he was also friends with Joni, my wife, and so we ended up in the same Gospels group. And because I had an apartment off campus, that's where we did our group. Because any chance you have an opportunity to get off campus, you take it. So we would meet, and, and I noticed that uh, she would show up to Gospels group a little early. She would often stay a, a little longer, and uh, we'd talk. And so I gained the courage to do what every college student eventually has to do when he finds that there's a young lady that might be interested in him. I pounced, that's right. I asked her out to White Castle. (laughs) And doggone it, she said yes. So sliders and milkshakes we had, and we sat on my rat-infested couch that sat on my front porch, because that's what you do in college, uh, until about 2 in the morning, and really the rest is history. We got married uh, about a year later, a year and a half later, and uh, we have three amazing children. Uh, My daughter, who's not a child anymore, just graduated from Anderson Preparatory Academy and is going into the National Guard. My son was playing drums here today and don't tell him, but he's actually pretty good. Don't let him know that though. Go straight to his head. And then I I have a 12-year-old, Jacob, uh, who knows more about Nintendo than any person I've ever known in my entire life. I don't know what he's going to do with that information, but there is some pride there because with his Christmas money, he went out and bought a Nintendo 64 And those of you who are smiling know how cool that is, right? Those of you who don't, eh, it really isn't that important. All right. This past week, uh, we got my daughter graduated, had a big open house, and then we took our boys. It was kind of odd because it was the first time we went on vacation without my daughter. And as my wife and I are waiting for uh, the boys to finish some roller coasters and things like that down at Holiday World, we just got to talking about how weird it was and how our lives are going to change over the next five or six years. And our daughter was born just about a year after we got married. We didn't have a lot of time of just her and I. And so we began to kind of think about our relationship and what it meant and, and how it was defined because for so many years it's been defined by our children and raising them. And it got us thinking about why we work, which we do. And we kind of came to the conclusion, and we've known this for a while, that part of the reason we work so well is because we don't need each other. My wife's an amazing woman. She makes good money. She is more, if I were to die tomorrow, or today, or if I were to pass away, 
she's capable. She could handle the children. She could handle the house. She could handle the bills. She could make enough money to make sure that our kids are taken care of. Our family is taken care of. Same for me. Lord forbid my wife passes away. I'm confident that I could rear our children. It would be difficult and hard and I wouldn't want to do it, but I would make enough money to support them. I could make the decisions required for our family. We're not together because we need each other. We're together because we want to be together. We like to be together. There's a, there's a piece of art. I mean, it's some boards with some words on it in our living room that says better together. And that really is our mantra. We, we just know we're better when we're together. So God's creation was made to be in line with its creator. And just like we humans are better when we're together, God created us to be together with him. Granted, God cannot be better than he is or was or ever could be, but his creation is better when we are with the creator. Our very existence is due to the idea that God desired to be loved by something that didn't have to love him back. In order for that creation to choose to love him, we had to have the option to choose not to love him. And thus, evil was allowed to enter the Garden of Eden in the form of a serpent to offer up a choice. Now, we've been working through the book of Esther. uh, And in the passage that we're working on today, Esther is going to be presented with three questions. Here they are. Where is the evil that forces Esther to make a choice? Where is God? And where should Esther go next? So we are forced to deal with these questions ourselves on a regular basis. So let's look how Esther dealt with them, and hopefully we can gain some insight in how God wants us to respond to them as well. So I'm going to sip a cup of coffee here, and then... uh, we'll get into a little bit of review of where we are in Esther. I'll be honest, I had an open house last Sunday, and then we went directly to uh, Holiday World from there, and then I got back to work on Thursday, and there was a huge project that was supposed to be done when I got back that nobody did, so I had to do it. I didn't listen to Tom's sermon last week. I have no idea what he said. So if I'm way off, eh, one of us is wrong, you can decide. But let's, uh, let's recap where we are with Esther. So Esther's been living in the palace, right? And Mordecai, her cousin, hears of this plot against the Jews. Haman is out to annihilate the Jews from the kingdom, and Mordecai knows that there is very little hope. But here his cousin Esther is placed closer to the king than anybody else, than any other person in the kingdom. So word gets to Esther that Mordecai is distressed. He's torn his clothes. He's covered himself in ashes. He's sitting at the front gates of the city. He's reaching out, hoping that somebody notices what's going on, right? And he gets it, right? It happens the way he planned it. Those that are close to Esther, namely Hathach, which is a fun word to say, Hathach, uh, Hathach, 
they, they see Mordecai and they bring his condition to Esther's attention. And this is the point at which Esther is faced with the evil. See, she's been living in the palace the whole long. She had no idea that this plot was out against the Jews. Haman, who uh, she knows is now the deliverer of the evil that is coming, forces her to choose whether or not to act. She hesitates. And she hesitates for good reason, right? Because you don't just strike up a conversation with the king. No, you have to be invited to be in the presence of the king. And she hasn't been invited. In fact, she hasn't been invited to be in the presence of the king for like a month. Just showing up unannounced in front of the king could mean a death sentence for her. And she knows this. And she tries to explain this to Mordecai, which brings us to today's passage. In uh, Esther chapter 4, we'll start in verse 12. It should be up here. So Hathach gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If, if you keep quiet, at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this? Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same, and then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Let's break down these verses a little bit. We'll start with verse 13. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. Enter here the evil, right? We should expect to meet evil. We were created in a world where Satan was already residing. Evil was here from the beginning of us. Eve met evil in the flesh, in the garden, in the form of a certain serpent. Esther met evil at home, in the form of a man. From the very beginning of time, Satan has been an influencer of God's creation. He has been an accuser, a master manipulator, and the enemy of the very creation that he uses to pull us away from God. Here, Esther comes face to face with that evil as it has influenced Haman. You see, Haman's desire is to be worshipped. And that desire festered into a hatred for all who would not worship him. And throughout scripture, we see this time and time again. Satan has this great interest in those that, like him, wish to be worshipped. Safety in a world where evil has existed since the beginning of time is impossible. However, with the right perspective, we have all that we need to combat that evil. 
Satan, more than anything, wants for you to lose your perspective. You see, Satan wants you to think that this world is what is most important, that this place that we're in is the most important thing. He, he wants you to fall in love with this place so much that you, you lose your desire to go home. Remember, we don't belong here. We don't belong in this world. We belong with God in heaven. This, this is not our home. I love my family. I love my wife. I love my friends. And honestly, I love this world that God has created for us. But... I am totally okay leaving it because I know what's next. I've read about it. I've thought about it. I've dreamed about it. I am absolutely certain that I don't belong here. We have a very important mission here on earth. When we go to heaven... We want to take as many people with us as possible. That's the mission. That's the goal. Mordecai, in this passage, recognizes this truth. He, he has the correct perspective that we're talking about, right? He knows that God is ultimately and fully in control, and he knows that God promises to protect his people. That promise has been in place since the very beginning. God's people will survive, right? So he knows this. The Jewish nation is going to survive with or without Esther. That's a certainty. If they all die, they will return home. But what about the mission, right? Mordecai understood that less believers meant less faithful followers and less people to join with their creator in heaven. See, our time here is supposed to be spent bringing other people to heaven with us. And if our time here is cut short because we fail to act, then our ability to bring other people with us to heaven is cut short as well. And I want to get there as quickly as I can, with as many people as I can, which means I want to be with God on that mission. Verse 14. Mordecai is still speaking. He says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. In this verse, Mordecai sums up our relationship with our creator, right? God has a plan and there is absolutely nothing that could possibly get in the way of God's plan. It's going to happen. He will return for his children. He will defeat Satan. He will establish a new world populated by the faithful recipients of the grace of Jesus Christ. It will happen. And he doesn't need you to make that happen. But he wants you to be a part of it. God's will is going to come to fruition with or without our participation, right? God, however, longs for that participation. 
This is the essence of what love is, a desire to be together, to move toward something together, to sacrifice oneself, to pursue a relationship. The relationship is the goal. It is the ultimate gift that we receive here on earth, is a relationship with God. This, this is marriage, this is friendship, this, this is love, that relationship moving towards the same goal. God is moving constantly towards the full redemption of his creation. And for the brief point in time that we are here on earth, he just longs for us to move with him. And if we die doing it, then we win, right? If we die moving with God, we still win. That's the eternal perspective that we should all have. So Esther's faced with a choice, verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So when faced with the opportunity to move with God, how do we proceed? If we're indecisive, indecisive, that's a hard word apparently. If we just sit and we wait, evil may prevail for a short time. Satan will use this gap of indecisiveness. I'm telling you, I cannot say that word. Indecisive, indecisive, indecisiveness. All right, let's try again. If we are indecisive, <laughs> to all those online, I apologize in advance. If we are indecisive, if we just sit and wait, evil may prevail for a short time. Satan is going to use this gap of indecisiveness as God waits for us to join him to plant more seeds of deceit, to widen the pocket of dissent, and to gain more of a foothold in those that are not moving with God. So what do you do? Now, how do you move forward? How do you move with God? Well, when in doubt, just move. Remember, God is always moving. Just join him. If you begin to veer, keep your eyes on him. If you stumble on the way, get up. Keep following you are always joining a show that is already in progress. God is already moving. All you have to do is grab on and move with him. To help you stay focused, pray and fast. Makes sense, right? It's what we're trained to do. In fact, ask others to pray and fast with you, just as Esther did. It's the most practical thing to do. Pray. Why do we pray? Because talking to the one with the plan is always the best way to figure out what the plan is. 
That's just practical. And fast, why do we fast? Because nothing focuses you better than an empty stomach. I am not focused very often because my stomach is not empty very often. Esther is faced with this evil, right? It crept in subtly but quickly and forced her to make a decision. And that decision was whether or not to move with God or to do nothing. Move with God or to nothing. And when she chose to move, she did it with the faith that God's plan was going to happen with or without her, and she at least needed to be a part of it. Esther was faced with three questions that we're constantly faced with as Christians today. How are you answering these questions? The first The first question is this, where is evil subtly creeping in on your life? It's the way you speak. It's the way you speak online. Is it the way you speak to your wife, to your spouse, to your children? Is evil subtly creeping in in the way you speak to your coworkers, classmates? Is it the things that you choose to spend your money on that evil's creeping in, right? Are you choosing to spend your money on things that pull you away from a relationship with Jesus rather than push you towards one? Only you can answer that. Is it indifference, acceptance, pride? We all, have to constantly spend time looking into our lives and identifying where the evil is creeping in because if you are a person with any kind of faith, trust me, it's trying to creep in. Satan is trying to creep in. He has this radar for faith and he wants to attack it. And he does it subtly. And it creeps in. And it creates this opening. And if we're not careful, we fall into it. If we are stagnant and we're not moving, we fall in. So question one, where is the evil subtly creeping into your life? Question two, where is God, right? Well, let me tell you, God God is already combating that evil. He's already on the move. He's working on it. He is. Are you going to work with him? Are you going to remain stagnant and do nothing? Or are you going to actively work against him? Remember that the only reason that evil is allowed to exist in the first place is to give you a chance to be a part of him snuffing it out. This is why there is free will, why there was a tree in the garden that was off limits, why Satan was allowed to access us after he was cast down, why God allows bad things to happen so that we can be part of a relationship with him, so that we can choose to love, so that we can choose to move with him, so that we can choose to have the relationship that he created us to have. 
You see, the question here isn't actually where is God. We know where he is. The question is, where are you? Are you moving with him? Or are you sitting still? And the third question, where do I go from here, right? This is the one we get stuck on so often. We see the evil, we see God moving, and we freeze. Satan, the accuser, the manipulator, makes sure that we are flooded with excuses not to act. He would love for you to turn away from God, but even if you're going to heaven, as long as you're not taking anybody with you, he still wins. He knows that when people see a good relationship, they want one for themselves. So as long as, you never, as, as, long as everybody else never sees your relationship with God, then Satan has no problem with you believing at all. So where do you go? Out there. Where the evil is, right? We leave this place and we go out there. And we seek out that evil that God is already working towards. And we join him. Esther had to go before sinners to save the righteous. She called her fellow believers to support her through prayer and fasting. She left the safety of her rooms and walked into the very presence of evil. That is where we go from here. Into the presence of evil. We go with the support of this crowd of witnesses, right? Their prayer, their fasting for you creates this shroud of protection. When we petition God for another believer, we are saying that we are also in the fight with them. We are in the battle with them. And this creates this wave of spiritual power. Esther was able to march into the throne room of the king with this wave of spiritual power because there were people praying for her and fasting for her, and she knew that they were all together. And you can have that wave of power also. Guys, I've felt it all week. I've gotten at least one, two, three texts a day when people found out that that I was speaking today. Hey, praying for you. Hey, skip lunch to pray for you today. Hope everything goes well on Sunday. I feel it. And you know what that does? It gives me confidence that I'm not speaking to you. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. He's here. We can have that power through each other. So, what happens now? There's, uh, there's this game that uh, I like to play. It's, uh, it's all about relationships, and if played properly, it really will deepen your relationship with another person. It's called truth or dare, okay? Not only has it deepened relationships that I've had over the years, it's also created some not-so-flattering pictures on Facebook of me doing ridiculous things. However, I'd like to change it up a, a little bit. I'd like to leave you with something similar to truth or dare. It's called truth and dare. So here's the truth. Jesus died 
so that you have the opportunity to go home to heaven. Truth. Heaven is your home and this world and your response to the evil that is here is only your opportunity to freely choose to go home. We're placed here so that we have the option to go with God. And if we go with God, we go home. Truth. Satan wants nothing more than for you to waste that opportunity. So move. I dare you. Seek out the evil that is creeping into your life because it is. Gather the faithful. We're gathered, folks. We're here. Here we are, praying, worshiping, doing the things that we know to do, that we have been taught to do, these things that create that spiritual wave of protection for others. Take that power and move. Leave this building and go out there where the evil is and join God in destroying it. Because that is what we are called to do.